This week's episode is brought to you once again by Mark Alt, because the Avalanche have still gotten a point in every game of the Mark Alt era. Mark Alt. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! What a brilliant goal by Nathan McKinnon! And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio, the Colorado Avalanche podcast that dares to ask why was Oliver Ekman Larson such a baby. Coming up on the show, the Avs pick up some points on the road and sit alone in the second wildcard spot. So now what? Plus, we cross our fingers and toes for Eric Johnson and what to do with Farlamov only being able to manage two-thirds of a game of rest. But before we play the whoosh, a quick moment with your disembodied voices of the week. As always, we are joined by Earl. Hey, Earl. Good evening. And we are joined by Jackie. Hey, Jackie. Good afternoon. We start in Chicago on Tuesday where the Avs fall 2-1 in overtime to the Blackhawks. Nathan McKinnon, your only goal scorer. Varlamov stopped 25 of 26 in regulation. And then the Avs give up the game winner nine seconds into overtime. I'm told that isn't good. Then on Thursday, Avs drop a really strange one to the Columbus Blue Jackets, 5-4 in overtime. Carl Soderberg scores two, plus Tyson Berry and Gabe Landeskog each get a goal, with the Jackets getting four unanswered goals in the middle there. Colorado were outshot 44-27, so shout out to Varlamov for keeping the team in this one, even though the fourth goal was pretty hilariously bad. And shout out to Corpusalo, who won this one with an 8-5-2 save percentage. Well done indeed. Finally, on Saturday, back at home, the Avs take care of the Arizona Coyotes 5-2 with goals from Blake Como, Tyson Jost, Miko Rantanen, Soderberg, and Barry. Barry's rapidly approaching 50 points, by the way, and McKinnon got his 49th assist and 80th point. Should we just dive into the odd storylines in this one? I have a list. Go for it. So, number one, Darcy Camper made the gods really angry before this game. I don't think I've ever seen a goaltender get this unlucky this many times. <laughs> I mean, Como's goal. I mean, that was a really good goal. Uh, I I don't think he was very appreciative of his defenseman in front of him on that one. Um, so you could definitely call that bad luck or just bad team. Bad team. Yeah. Um, but that you know that that was an exciting beginning to the game. That that, that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. I thought. It was it was strange, especially the second. And third goal, um, that that was maybe the weirdest first ten minutes I've ever seen of a game. That was <laughs> that was something else. They they had two two uh, reviews on the goals. Like the first one was an actual challenge. The second one they just had to review. But um, yeah, for some reason the games between the Avs and Coyotes are different and. Um, you wouldn't quite expect that because it's not like Arizona is really all that exciting on its own, but something about them playing the Avs kind of creates some fireworks. Yeah, I'm wondering why this is uh, why this is such a divisive rivalry, if you can call it that this season. And I, I, you know, I think I would call it a little bit of a rivalry. Just you know, the on ice play merits that. Um, I, think know, I, I don't know how Arizona plays other teams, so maybe they just go around being goons to everybody. But um, yeah, what I really liked about what I saw from the Avs um, yesterday was they weren't taking it. You know, it's like I, I know the hit on Miko was fine. You know, maybe it was a little late, but 
Max stood right up for him. Um, Ekman Larson breaking a stick on Sven's arm. He didn't take that either. And, and all the, everybody on the team sort of came in and, and helped out with that. It's just that, that that's sort of a, a, a team feeling you really never got last year. Yeah, and that, that's why I don't have maybe as much of a problem with McKinnon fighting as maybe some others do. Like, you don't want to see him do it, but I get it. And, and I think especially given what happened in that first game against Arizona, the whole Ronaldo Gerard incident and everything, yeah, they didn't want to get it started. When he, uh, the hit on Miko, I agree, it wasn't bad. Maybe it looked a little worse in real time, but I, I think it was just a way of saying, no, we're not, we're not going here in this game. Yeah. And yeah, it's like Arizona does this fake tough guy act, and, and they're a team that the Avs can push back against. So, uh, yeah, I can kind of see that that the Avs are kind of starting the, yeah, we're not going to take this. And maybe they can do that against a team like Arizona and work their way up against more of the real physical teams. St. Louis Blues Southwest. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Nathan McKinnon fought a guy as, also on my list. I hated it a lot more than you. I do not want Nathan McKinnon to break his hands on a skull. Um. But I'm specifically what? referring to with 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 Camper with the goals from Tyson Jost, which he kind of, like Landeskog tried to bat it out of the air with a high stick and missed, and then Jost baseballed it off the inside of the Camper's skate, um, and then the one that somebody I don't remember who it was tipped it up into a Coyotes player who kind of punched it in, and then yeah, the, Nieto. and then the uh, goaltender interference review that wasn't because somebody pushed Miko Ranton and so that his stick hit Camper's stick like. How Maybe. unlucky can you be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm still not sure that puck didn't touch Nieto anywhere, but that, yeah. that was that was uh I guess Soderberg's goal, but um That's Yeah, that that one is strange too. So, I think uh I, I think the Rockies even tweeted that, that they had a game today and, and asking maybe if Tyson Jost could come down and play for them. <laughs> 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 yeah, he he's good at those hand-eye kind of little tips or bats, things like that. I I don't think it's even quite luck. I th I think Jost has a little bit of a knack for doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's got incredible eye-hand coordination. Yeah, I don't I don't think he put it through three pairs of legs and off the goaltender skating in on purpose though. Yeah, but just hitting <laughs> it. I mean, you know. <laughs> I think ninety percent of us would just swing and a miss there, but he he got he he actually hit it towards the net, and, and good things happen when you do that. So my other point that y'all already hit was uh, the Oliver Ekman Larson tantrum when he slashed Sven Andergetto for no obvious reason, slashed his stick out of his hand, and then broke his own stick cross-checking him, and then broke his pride taking a two-handed shove to the face. <laughs> yeah, that was so late in the game. That was just. Really, really stupid. That was hilarious. Is what that was. <laughs> but I, I mean, Sven sitting there in the in the penalty box, and I guess they kept playing it up on the Megatron, and he's just looking up there and laughing at it every time. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd's just going nuts, you know. I mean, that's just you know, again, that's just something you didn't see from last year's team, or probably the, you know the last couple of years. Um. Yeah, I think they're going to remember that one. Yeah, I you know I, I wrote today in, in 
in breaking down that I, I thought that was you know one of the better moments of the season. I think it's it's going to be end up being a pretty underrated moment of the season. And then it kind of goes back to they really started their run after the the whole incident that I mentioned earlier with Ronaldo and Gerard and the fights and everything. And it it seems like that's the kind of thing that people love to point to as like some sort of big moment for a team. Like, like it's more of a media creation than in reality, but that's kind of one thing I do wonder if that was kind of a, you know, we're all in this together kind of, kind yeah, of moment. That was the, the, the game in the Pepsi Center that they lost was the last loss before the 10-game win streak started. Right. That was just after Christmas. I think everyone was just still kind of on a little nap after that one, but... Yeah. But yeah, they, they kind of started their their second half run for sure. Yeah, that, that last game after Christmas is always just kind of a toss-up and you never really know what you're going to get out of it. Um, so Jonathan Bernier played 46 minutes, which is a very specific number. He made a mask <laughs> save in the second period, which you'll notice happens well before the 46-minute mark. And yeah. it was not until six minutes into the third that he was pulled from the ice. I think that was during a, t- a TV timeout. Even though he was visibly stunned by the shot, and had just come back from a concussion. So Spencer yeah. Martin's being recalled in his place. Um, yeah, they said I, it was sore neck. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, that that's that's sort of code these days, I think. But I, that that is troubling, just because a you really wonder what the concussion spotters in the Pepsi Center were looking at. You know, it's obviously I, I'm sure they were aware that he was in his first game back after a concussion and not that that should go too much into it, but it's something you should probably think about. Oh, it matters. For and sure. he, yeah. And you know, he didn't go down to the, you know, he didn't get knocked out or anything like that, but it, you know, hit him pretty much square in the mask. And um, what, what I'm wondering about is from there to where he got pulled, how did that, how did the progression go? Cause they obviously had an, an intermission in the middle. Um, you know, was it something that they looked at during the intermission and he's like, no, man, I can, I can go, I'm fine. And then he gets out there and either the coaches spotted something or he just said, nah, it's, you know, it's tightening up on me. Um, but I remember he he wasn't pulled initially when he got the concussion either. Right. No. Well, concussions often the symptoms don't, don't come up right immediately, immediately. Yeah. I mean, unless you're knocked out, right? <clears throat> um, and 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 or if you're Eric Johnson, and when that when it happens, you just come up trying to fight anybody who's close to you. Yeah. Um. But that's I, I don't know. I I just throw that on the pile of things we really still don't understand about concussions. But it's mm-hmm. just something you wish that would be. Uh, I, I don't want to say better handled, but just I, I I wish they had more information to go on, such that. You know, when, when Bernie got hit in the head with that puck, that, that maybe they could have done something right then. Um, you know, and, and he might have been fine, and he might not have. I, I just, you know, I know you don't want to pull your goalie, and if this is the playoffs, you really, really, really wouldn't want to pull your goalie if if he is fine. But um, Yeah, it's just it's, tough because the, then, then you have to set a standard that every time a goalie gets hit in the head with a puck, then you're pulling yep. him to test him. And, and how how often does that happen? It seems like it could happen once a game or so. So then you, 
you're constantly pulling the goalies. So, so yeah, there has to be kind of a happy medium there. Because I mean, you yeah, got guys I mean, like Peter Budai who will intentionally make a helmet save, and then you really think in the playoffs, <laughs> players aren't going to shoot high. <laughs> Uh, I noticed the abs were shooting high on Kemper a little bit after that too. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I I think that it's just still so early in our, our understanding of of head injuries that I, I, beyond like creating a beam that you can flash at someone and it tells you whether they have a concussion or not, you're just really you're just guessing. That would be amazing. So yeah. David Warsawski was called up on Friday from San Antonio, and he played over Anton Lindholm, who was listed as a healthy scratch, but Altitude referred to him as injured. And they also said Warsawski played the night before in San Antonio, which he did not. So I watched the game. He did not. Everyone is confused. I mean, they, they specifically said that he had been at the Pepsi Center with his gear at 1030 last night. The game last night in San Antonio having started at 630 Mountain, so... Uh, how? <laughs> well, there is an Air Force base near San Antonio, so. <laughs> no, we, we watched the Rampage play with five defensemen. And 13 forwards. So. Um, yeah, is, I, that's, is that's a weird one. Maybe? Yeah, I know. Is, is, does that, Mar- is Mark Alt a real person? Maybe? <laughs> Ew. Did they forget that they claimed him on waivers? <laughs> Anytime, like, uh, the, people have stopped asking about Mark Alton in the press conferences, but every time someone asks Bednar about him, he's just got this sort of sour grapes look on his face, like, oh, that guy. <laughs> um, like, like, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a nice guy and everything, but he's not playing for me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I kind of... Uh, I'd kind of believe Lindholm, maybe something's up with him because, because yeah, that pairing between Duncan and Lindy was not pretty, but I would still think if between the two is going to be a healthy scratch, I think Lindholm's earned a lot more credibility than Duncan has. I just, I don't think he would have been the choice as the healthy scratch. I don't know about that. I I think I, I think, oh, I think Benner staff, likes Duncan, but between the two, I, I I think what the staff might have been looking at, and this is what I've been looking at as well, is when when Duncan first came in the lineup, Warsaw, he and Warsawski were were quite good together. And granted, they're playing the Canucks, and you know that's not not a great team. So why did they play Warsawski um, with Barry so much? I. Uh, you know, the, the same reason they play Barry and Sam sometimes when they really want to get something going. I mean, I, you know, the, like Warsawski got a shift on the penalty on, on, on the power play late in the game, too. Uh, Barry and Warsawski got a lot of turnovers going. Yeah. That pairing was awful. Yeah. Um, and the whole they told Dater that there was no injury, which that would have been like the third time. Because the other two times when they told him that somebody was just having a maintenance day. And they weren't. <laughs> Somebody's trolling AD. Right. Yeah. Like, it just seems like, oh, no, everything's fine. I, I don't know. I mean, and and that was their last call-up. It just... Yeah. That's the interesting part to me. And, and like, if, if Greer was healthy, I'd be kind of pissed about it. But he's not. And 
you know, we don't, we don't know exactly what's wrong with Greer. Um, but you just have to think that, that a, he's probably going to be out for a while and B, they probably wouldn't use him that much in a, in something, you know, if they're still down to the wire playoff contention kind of deal. No, nah, they'd give him but, the yak treatment, which speaking of yak played less than five minutes total. Four minutes <laughs> and 37 seconds. I think I that's just, a low for the season for a player that didn't get hurt. Obviously Kamenev played less, but um, I think you're right. That Yeah. Well, that's that's the lowest explode. for a player that they actually wanted in the lineup, perhaps. Um, Which you know, means I, he did not play on the power play then, if he was that low. Right? No, he, did, no, he hasn't been playing much on the power play lately, but he didn't play any yesterday. Um, and, and what happened yesterday is is the, the second uh, Arizona goal was after a very long shift, and it was it was those three guys on the fourth line, Kerfoot, um, Bork and Yakupov plus Duncan and, and I think Warsawski. And they got trapped and it took forever and <clears throat> you know Arizona scored. And from then on Yak was benched totally. Bork had one shift on the PK which is that PK which they couldn't clear forever and then they got their guy back and they still couldn't clear. It was a 2 minute and 13 second shift for Bork. And he was done <laughs> after that. Ouch. Yeah, He's probably and then Kerfoot, the rest of the game. Yeah, and then Kerfoot got um, a power play shift late in the game uh, when the the Ekman Larson deal happened. It's, but that was that was the only argue. shift he got. Yeah, it's hard to argue against any of that, just because I mean it. We we know we know who Yak is. Uh, yeah. Bork is who he is, and yeah, he scored a, a few goals in a week, and that was amazing, and that this is why it was amazing. And Kerfoot, yeah. Kerfoot looked okay yesterday, but he's just... I thought he had a good game going, yeah. yeah. He's, he's just looked so tired, and he's just worn down lately, and that's to be expected on an, on an NCAA guy's first pro season, but him him getting some rest time is fine by me. Yeah, and it, but for me, the thing is, you know, mainly with Yakupov, and I know this is sort of a, a table-pounding thing I have, but... Uh, I just I, I don't think that line is very usable when he's in the lineup. I think if Toninato was in there, that they could have used that line. I, I don't think that I, I don't think first of all that that bad shift in the goal would have happened if Toninato was in there, because things like that tend not to happen when he's out on the ice. And it just I, I just think you know having Yakupov and Kerfoot and Bork together just it's just three different kinds of players that, that don't have anything tying them together. It's just not a line, really. Yeah, that's definitely the misfit toys there. Yeah, um, yeah the Yakupov thing, it just, the further and further the Avs get towards this this in this playoff run towards maybe actually getting it, it just seems like every day they kind of progress further past what Yakupov can do for them. It's just like, early on it made sense, but just He's not even useful on the power play. All he does is, is miss shots, and and then you and can't especially with a- Andrew Ghetto back in the lineup because Andrew yeah. Andrew Ghetto does what Yak does better. Yeah, and then and then you're just sticking him on the fourth line, and, and then it's a fourth line you don't want to play. And I agree, like Toninato is a fourth line center, so maybe that's not exciting. Maybe he doesn't do much, but he does move the puck in the right direction. He can forecheck. He can do something with his six or seven minutes other than yeah, I, just yeah just put, existing 
Right, and I think if you put Kerfoot with with Bork and, and Toninato, I, I think you can get something going there. You know, and it's just I I think you know those two guys are not able to drag Yak around. <clears throat> um, back to the list. We all pretty much agree Colorado's power play is dog shit, but it keeps producing. And I think yeah. this is the seventh game in a row it's generated a goal. I, I actually thought it was five, and then Earl slapped me in the face and said, no, seven. And I think he's right. I know it's seven goals in seven games. It might just be five in a, five games in a row, but I know they do have seven goals in the last seven games. So we probably don't have time to sit here and be like, why is the power play working so well? Because there's a lot of stuff going on today. Um, but that's a bizarre thing that's happening after they went so long without any success. Think you the funny say. thing is, is they, they had a bunch of I, – they're still really inconsistent. Um, they had five power plays yesterday, and I, probably three of them looked terrible. They probably had zero shots on more than, than, than they didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well here's just... the other thing. The second power play unit hasn't scored a goal since January 15th. Oof. Yeah. And that's, that's a problem. That's pretty bad. It is. And it's not like it's the same five guys either. It's no matter who they they put out there, they don't score. And, uh, and I think it wastes nothing. Yeah, yeah, and I think it wastes what Gerard brings to the power play to have him on a unit that will never score. Mm-hmm. So this one is not so odd, but Carl's line was great. Yeah, Carl's line's been great for a couple of weeks now. Well, at home especially, I they they still have their. Rough road outings. I don't know. He had two goals versus Columbus, right? I'd, I'd have to look yes. at their their possession, but but yeah, he was good in that game. And finally, Nikita Zadorov might be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> he took Ooh. out like three players with slap shots and blew up a few others with big hits, and that was all within about a eight minute span. It was like he suddenly decided yeah. there's too many people on the other team. I need to do something about this. Yeah, I, I, I think what it was, it was a great response to... <clears throat> um, I mean, the game was getting kind of sleepy in the second, and that's when Arizona started really ramping up the, the physical play rather than trying to score. And Z's like, fine, you know, I can <laughs> play that game. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun when he gets to be such a menace to certain teams. Yeah. No, it's just he's like, you want some of this? I got plenty, and <laughs> you know, he just he, he started hitting people. The slap shots he took out Laurent Dauphin, and we we know Dauphin is injured now. Um, taking it which right is off. too he, bad. Yeah, That's it is too bad. bad. <clears throat> um, he he did the same thing to Demers, but Demers, you know, recovered d- during the game. And step uh, on too. Yeah. Um. Domi. Yep, and then you know, and and then of course the the semi fight, the the wrestling match during Sven and OEL's altercation. Um, you know, it's nice to have a guy that can respond like that, and it's nice that that Z's gotten to the point where he can focus that. Right. You know, it, exactly. If he doesn't, yeah. If 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 it doesn't warrant, if the situation doesn't warrant being like that, he can play his game and be fine. But if the other team is is sort of ramping up their physical game, he can match it. And when it I does s- warrant it, it doesn't yank him out of position like it used to do with our old friend Ryan Wilson. Yeah, 
Well, what he does is, is generally clean, doesn't get penalties. I mean, he can get penalties for being too big, but, you know, when he decides to step up the physicality, he's not, he's not putting himself in the box by doing it and things like that. But I do think in general, I'm going to bet that Bedner wants to see him maybe bring that physicality a bit more all the time. Because there are some games where, I'm not saying he needs to go out there and hit all the time, but there are some games where you don't see that physical side of Zadorov for like an entire game. Yeah, and I, I would assume just because of his, his penalty history, uh, especially last year, just getting called for being big all the time, that, you know, he... He he's trying to find that line, and it's probably going to be different with every ref crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something that that over the years he's going to be able to get closer and closer to the line and, and ramp up his physical game without getting penalties. Yeah, it was he he has been getting a lot of bullshit penalties called on him just recently. Like in the last couple of weeks, he's been getting a lot of penalties that you look at and you just go, for, for what really? Yeah, uh, like I I think uh, there was a hooking call. It was. I don't think it was. Yet, no, it wasn't yesterday. I think it was against Columbus. Yeah, it, he was, it was behind the net, mm-hmm. and he was just like the the blade of his stick was near some guy's hands. It, it didn't actually touch it, and he got yeah, called he, for a hook. He reached forward towards the puck, and it was Pierre Luc Dubois who said, "Ooh, a stick!" and lifted his stick up into it, and then lifted <laughs> yeah. it all. So obviously, we don't, we don't like we don't try to get bogged down in these individual games too much. We've 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 spent a lot of minutes on that game, but that was a weird fucking game. Like that one was weird too. Yeah, that, that first period lasted uh, against Arizona. I think that first period lasted over an hour. Yeah, I, no, I, I remember. I remember looking up and seeing there's like seven minutes left. And I'm like, wow, this like, is really long. Like how? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> did, I did the same thing in the middle of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. You look at the time remaining. You go, wait, what? <laughs> How's that possible? <laughs> Um, but let's at least talk about Sven Andrigetto. Um, now that he's returned to the lineup, what's he bringing to the team that's been missing? Um, I think it's kind of hard really, to put words to. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, he's a very shoot-first kind of guy, and there aren't a lot of those on the Avalanche. Um, and that's, I, I think that's something that, that they really need. I think Jost might be that at some point. Um. And if he was in better position a lot more, then I, I think he would kind of fit into that category. But but Sven is very shoot first, and he's very good at developing shots. Um, we've seen that his shot, um, you know, his, his Corsi rates are pretty close to McKinnon's actually. So he he's able to sort of bring something that that the Avs need, and that's get more pucks to the net. Um, he's got a little grit to him. He's really good at entering the zone. Um, and it just, I, I love the attitude he brings. And it, it wasn't just with, with Ekman Larson yesterday. I mean, he's just sort of, he doesn't back down. He's got a little bit of a, a little guy syndrome um, where he's, he's just sort of tiny and fierce. And they, and they need more of that, I think. Yeah, definitely. And he hasn't quite settled into a, a real line yet. I think, I think when he does, he, he, he can bring some good chemistry with guys. So, I think that will come in time as well. I think just just overall skill, and he's kind of replacing somebody that, you know, someone in the lineup that that maybe isn't quite on that level. So, so it's it's like inserting an NHL player with skill. 
and that does <laughs> tend to make a difference. Yeah. You know, if you want to look at it like he's replacing Yakupov and then yesterday Toninato, unfortunately, um, you know, that's a big upgrade. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So prior to the game against Arizona, Colorado had lost three straight in overtime, which, yay, you're actually getting points out of those games. That's good. Uh, but none of them took a full minute. The heck? Yeah. Um... The, the Columbus one for me was was probably the I I was really hopeful when they got the puck right off the bat and they actually got a little bit of zone time. Obviously the the Chicago one was a nightmare. Um, but it, it just it really looks like they're not comfortable playing one on one defense. Um, you know, and, and Bednar sort of alluded to this after the Chicago game that. If you go out there, yeah, you're expected to score, but you have to be ready to check, too. I They were so good at it before, and I understand that three-on-three is kind of a bit of a coin flip, but they've been good at it pretty consistently since the three-on-three overtime was introduced, and I think they're thinking about it just way too much more now. Like, before it used to just be, oh, we'll go out there and have fun and try to score, and I think... Now it's in their, especially after what happened this week, now it's in their heads, like, we can't get scored on, we have to play defense, what are we doing? It just seems like a lot of panic defending and not, like, going for puck possession, which is the whole kind of strategy in overtime. But they were, they used to be so good at, they would go after the puck and then get it and keep it, and they weren't afraid to take shots or or try things because they felt confident in being able to get the puck back. So now it's just like once they lose it, they just like short circuit and they go into this panic defending and they're like laying on the ice and over committing and this and that. It's just like their their approach to it is completely different, I think. And that's one thing yeah, you I, absolutely I, cannot do in that setting is overcommit because you don't have help. You are the help. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think sort of pounding the possession aspect of it into guys' heads maybe has a sort of an opposite effect where they're scared to shoot. Um, you know, I'm not saying they're taking, the, the, they're, you know, they're passing up good shots and stuff like that. You know, sometimes they are, but, um, you know, you, you can't go out there with the mentality that, that not shooting is better than shooting because you still have the puck. Um you know, you've got to develop your chances, but, you know, you, you really do need to, to shoot the puck to score, to state the obvious. They used to not have trouble getting the puck back. I mean, in three-on-three, three, every team's going to get their chances, but you basically accept at some point the other team's going to take a shot and get a chance, and then what you do is go and get the puck back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not like just completely lose your mind trying to stop the puck, and then that's how you're how they're losing. Well, obviously, the the Nashville one is kind of an outlier here because that goal is just so stinky. Um, but I do think there's two things at play here. One of them being that Colorado are the worst faceoff team in the league, and it's not close. It's like. Everyone else is like 47% and above, and Colorado's down in the 43 area. Like, it's very bad. Um, so they are more likely to start without the puck, and that's rough. 
But I think more important than that is that the team have been missing Eric Johnson. And yeah. he Yeah, he's good in overtime. Yeah, he he's he's good at in those one-on-one situations. He can keep up with a lot of players. He he does have a tendency to swim a little bit, but it doesn't usually get to that point. Whereas when you've got Mac and Miko and Tyson Berry, there's no there's no playing their own zone here. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, obviously like the, you know, in the Nashville Nashville game, Miko's one one v one play was was not too hot. Um, McKinnon's was was terrible in the Chicago game. Um, you know, it, it, I I don't know I don't know how much time as a coach you'd want to spend practicing that. You know, I I think it's something that that you really don't want to practice much at all. I mean, it, it's a very important part of the game, but it's it's something that you usually don't have to spend very much time doing in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. But, but practicing one-on-one defense, three V three, um, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's a skill and it's something that they probably don't practice enough, but you know, I just wonder if there's enough time to really put a, a bunch into it. But I guess at this point, that's, that's kind of the difference between 1.2 points, which yeah, could be the playoffs right there. So I think, at this point, maybe it is one of the more important things that they go over. Yeah, and this is just, I mean, it's part of becoming, you know, going from a bad team to, you know, a bubble team. You know, it's like bad teams really don't have to worry about 1v1 defense. You know, it's like they're lucky to get that one point. Um, you know, now the one point is is less in doubt, and now they, they need to learn how to get the second one easier. Um you know, it's it's probably a lot easier to get that second point when you don't really care. You know, it's like if say we had gone to overtime yesterday, it's like Arizona, they wouldn't care, and they probably score. Yeah, and Anaheim have lost twelve games in overtime, which is <laughs> the most in the West, and the only teams that have done that in the East are bad teams: Buffalo, Montreal, <laughs> Ottawa have eleven. So I mean, if, if Arizona are able to flip even half of those, then they're comfortably in the playoffs. Or not Arizona, Anaheim. If they're able to flip half of those, they're comfortably in the playoffs. It's it's it almost, a big difference for them. It almost seems like a lot of loser points is the hallmark of a playoff team. It's like it seems like every year a team gets in a lot due to that. So I guess you could for, look. It I depends mean, which I way you look at team, it. Yeah, it means you're hard to beat if if you aren't losing in regulation. Yeah. Yeah, like Chicago, I think last year, the year before, like 15 or something absurd like that. And that 15 points is a huge difference in in the standings. So, I mean, in a way, it is annoying that they lost those overtime games. But in another way, that's how you get points to to get into the playoffs. Yeah, th- those are points that in the past they wouldn't be getting at all. It, I, I think a lot of the loser point thing is like, where where are you stealing those points from? Like, you know, are are those loser points? You know, are are those wins you should have had? You know, are, are should those have been two point games rather than a one point game? Or right, they, they all lost, haven't been losses. Collapses. You're turning into a point. Yeah, yeah, and and there's been a little bit of both this week. I mean, Nashville was kind of a defeat snatch from the jaws of victory situation, and Columbus they did not deserve a point. So yeah, yeah, and Chicago is tied. Yeah, Chicago yeah, they got what they deserved out of Chicago. Yeah. 
So anyway, I don't know how much time they can really spend practicing overtime because I don't know how much time they can really spend practicing right now since they play literally every other day until the end of the season with the exception yeah, of like, this two-day break and then a back-to-back later this week. So, Well, they were like so the bad on that four-on-four four, and then they just yeah, practiced say. it once and they, and, and they were a lot better. So, I mean, it just even going over something like that once yep. is a little helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think they need like one half practice dedicated to just playing on, in overtime, and I think they'd be fine. Because you're right, like they were awful four v four, and they had one practice on it, and it's it's not been the same issue since. That's uh, that speaks well to the coaching, at least. Yeah, that's true. We we spend a lot of time whining about coaching decisions, so let's give them credit when it's due. Um, but it, in a bit of good news in the same kind of vein, Eric Johnson has been skating again at practice. He's uh, wearing a bright red sweater, but he's not really, like, avoiding bumping people either, so that's a thing. Yeah, it was good that he was in a real practice. I mean, I I definitely feel like he's going to rush back, but... Yeah. But, Don't expect him to take shots, (laughs) because... Um, I think he was shooting some in practice, too. Um, Yeah, that's, that's what was the... That's what surprised me is that he was actually shooting. Now, I, I I don't want to put a number on sort of how hard his shot is and you know whether he was wincing after everyone or, or anything like that. But you know, just just moving the shoulder like that proves that you know he's he's at least got mobility at this point. Yeah, that's something. So, I'd yeah. I'd probably put it at a couple weeks because I think I think if he's pushing himself already, then. You know they uh, they know he's going to come back and and um and yeah it's a shoulder and and it's up to his pain tolerance and up to the kind of risk he wants to take with it. I I, I think we'll see him pretty soon. And this is a guy that destroyed his knee in a golf cart. I don't think he's too averse to risk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I I do think actually with the new doctors that the Abs have this year, they've been uh, more conservative than they have been in the past. I definitely agree uh, with that. But <clears throat> I, I I just attribute that to knowing more about the situation, and I'm not trying to slam the the Abs old doctor or anything like that. But um, you know, it, it, and I think some of this actually goes back to to coach bednar as well it's like he doesn't want guys coming back if they're not ready to play if they're rushing them back but they're ready to play fine um but he doesn't want guys rushing back and not being effective so yeah i think that's what we're seeing with like kamenev right now is they're not rushing him at all no he's but he is ready to play in a conditioning stint with the san antonio rampage health he is in In three hours or two hours. You've been waiting for yeah, I'm really... the Kamenev update. There it is. Yeah, and um, and hopefully maybe we'll have a real actual write-up on Kamenev after he plays a couple games. But yeah, I'm, I am really looking forward to seeing him. I mean, obviously, I think everyone is. And um, just because... Just uh, We've been anticipating it so long. Plus, I do think he actually could help the Avs. You know, assuming that that the conditioning looks okay and looks like what he can kind of bring to the table. Yeah, yeah it's I'm... been so long. It's been four months since he played, so you just I I barely yeah. What can he what do? He like on the... Yeah, well, it's just I don't remember what he can do on the ice anymore. 
You know, it's like I I, I remember making some nice assist plays in San Antonio, um, but you know, just sort of in my mind, I, I really don't I remember sort of what he looks shift by shift. And speaking of shift by shift, we we might get a shift by shift of, of Kamenev from Rudo tomorrow if he's up for it. Yeah, we Rudo's starting to do a lot of shift by shift videos too, which is something that we hope to have on a lot of players. Yeah, as much as he's willing to do, because that's a lot. Yeah, of work. exactly. Yeah, that's a tremendous you know, amount he, of work. He did Malosh the other day, and I Malosh played. I mean, that was the the game where the Rampage played with five defensemen. And oh no. He played about 28 minutes, I guess he said. So <laughs> That's I'm, a lot of shifts. <laughs> I'm glad they're being a little bit more conservative with the injury stuff. Like Not even just because they may not be fully effective when they get back, but also because if they come back early and they re-injure it, then you could have had him back in three weeks, but instead you had him back for like two games in two weeks, and now he's out for another two weeks. And I think Sven is great, you know, <clears throat> a great proof of that because, I mean, honestly, he didn't look like he had been injured when he came back the other day. No, he looked good. Yeah. yeah, I agree. He yeah, came he up in the lineup within go. one game. Yeah. Yeah, so I think kind of Bednar's wanting them to practice, wanting them to condition, I think. I think that's kind of been a good idea. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I, I I don't remember exact situations last year, but I do remember guys being injured and coming back, and, and I'm sure he was sitting there like, why did I bring this guy back? <laughs> you know? I, I know it's better than the alternative, probably, but this isn't where we need to be. Yeah, Bednar seems, like, logical to a fault with his decision-making process, so he's not going to be like, man, I really really want that player back. And there's, there's going to be that second voice of this, but he's not going to actually be back. Yeah. But no, I like it, too, because... like, We really want these guys back, and it's just, like, you know, <laughs> I want them back when they're good. <laughs> I don't want them back just because they can skate. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good though. I appreciate kind of the, the pr knowing the process of what Bednar has because you can kind of understand where where the players are at without you know having it spelled out in a press conference. You know, you kind of see what they're doing in practice, see how they're progressing. Like, like you can understand where these players are at. So it's like EJ. I feel like I have a decent like we have a decent handle on where EJ is just by what he's able to do on the ice right now. Yeah, and I don't think he's being evasive all the time when he says, I don't know the timeline on this guy. I, I think that's just him being like, you know, when, when he's close, we'll know, and it's not right now. now he, he's being evasive when he says, I haven't talked to the trainers yet, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my starting goalie, I just, you know, slipped my mind. I <laughs> not to ask. <laughs> yeah. You know, I forgot to think about that. I'll have to think about that over lunch. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> so shall we do Makar Watch before we look at the rest of the playoff stuff? Who's going to do Makar Watch? Um, yeah, I can get into it. Sorry, you just um, roboted there. I was trying to figure oh, out yeah, if it was just big... me or you. My bad. Yeah, you were a big time robot there for about 30 seconds. Am I good now? Yes, yeah. so if you want to start that over, then I won't, like, <coughs> lose my mind there. Okay, it'll it'll just be on the recording twice. Um, so, <laughs> one last thing to get into before the, the playoff stuff is Makar Watch. Um, yeah, he, uh, UMass lost their, um, their last playoff game, I guess you could call it that. Last night, they lost the series, uh, 
two to nothing to Northeastern. So that means that um, McCarr uh, college season is over and now begins the watch to see if he signs a professional contract and he could he could have a tryout with the Rampage and start his contract next year or does he decide to stay in school for another year and hopefully he announces or we know his decision either way because I think the waiting is going to be the hardest part but I would imagine if he's going to sign and play with the Rampage it's going to happen soon if it's going to happen so this might be a big week for that yeah, last year it took Tyson Jost about a week after North Dakota's season was over for him to, to sign and, and come into um, start practicing and, and whatnot with the Avs. It's a little different situation this year just because Jost was coming into a team that was well on its way to scoring 45, 48 points, and there was a spot waiting for him. Um, and there there wasn't the expansion draft question hanging over that decision. And, and just to lay that out, we assume in about two years that there will be another expansion draft for the Seattle team. Seattle any player that's, Sasquatch. Seattle Sockeye, Sack, Sasquatch, whatever. I like the Emeralds. The Emeralds, yeah, that's Emerald good too. Emeralds isn't bad. My top two are still Sasquatch and Kraken. Um, but... Any player that plays pro this year, as a or plays as a pro this year, will probably be um, eligible to be picked if they aren't protected in two years. So it it really behooves a team to sign guys but not let them play in the NHL this year. Um. So. Plus, I don't know if the Avs would even offer that at this point. Considering it would would also burn a contract year and would also be putting him in the lineup while they're trying to do this playoff push. Exactly, and I, you know, I, I don't think McCarr would really help the team that much. Um, and that's not saying anything about what I think about his skills or his upside or anything like that. I just, I think anyone that just sort of bounces into the locker room right now not having been there all year is going to take some time to get up to speed. And I think by the time it gets up to speed, either the season will be over or, you know, it's just, it's, it won't be a good time. So I um, think kind of what the abs have on the table is a little bit different than what was on the table for Jost. So, yeah. you know, that might be in some consideration there. I mean, on one hand he could play a lot with the rampage. I think they have 15 games left. So obviously he wouldn't play today, but you know, considering he just played 34 games in college to get even, let's say, 13 or 14 AHL games, that's almost like half the season for yeah. him right there. And I think that would, that would do a lot for him. I think he could grow a lot in just that amount of time. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we've seen guys that were on bad CHL teams come into the, both the Monsters and the Rampage come in and... and know get a fair amount of games in it and it's really helped them prepare for the next season and i, I really think if mccarr is going to have any kind of impact uh, at either the nhl or ahl level next year um the earlier he starts the better yeah i think so too but and but then you also look at it from his perspective you know leaving school and go 
going pro with only AHL as, as the offer. It doesn't sound, you know, that, that great either. So it, it just really depends what he wants. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But but it may be a thing where he signs and doesn't, but it's a contract for next season and he doesn't actually join the team until training camp. Cause he does have the semester to finish out academically too. Right. And that could happen too. Like what Comfort did when, when um, his season at Michigan finished, he could have theoretically at that time signed right away and played AHL, but he didn't. And then he signed it, I think in May. So, so right. If McCarr doesn't sign now and doesn't go to the AHL, doesn't mean it's completely off the table. It just would be a shame because that's, that's a lot of games and experience that he missed, but but he does have all that time to make that decision too is, is another thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think for someone and, and, you know, it's not like he's been in the NCAA for a few years and he's used to this short schedule. You know, he's used to playing 60, 70, 80 games a year um, and, and well into May with the playoffs. So, you know, sitting in the middle of March with <clears throat> no games left, um, you know, might, might feel a little bit hollow for him. So, you know, I, I think it might be tempting regardless of what you may think about the rampage to, to go down there and, you know, play a bunch of games. I know they're not probably not going to make the playoffs and <laughs> probably, um, but I, I, I really think it's something that, that he should consider very carefully um, because it's, I think it's going to be a tough jump for him if he doesn't do that. Yeah, I mean, I can see it either way. There's definitely, definitely reasons, reasons either way. Yeah, I just hate the thought that he wouldn't play until like October. This yeah. is his last game, and he doesn't play till October. <laughs> and if he signs, he can train with the other prospects and young players, and he gets the full camp experience and this and that. It just, for me, I feel like that's what he needs at this point in his career. But you know, obviously, it's his decision too. So that's McCar watch graphic whooshing sound. Um, <laughs> so it's March twelfth when this drops. Colorado sit alone in the second wild card spot with eighty points, and the only major player with a game on the day we record this is Calgary. But thanks to the Avs' two games in hand, the spot is theirs until at least Monday, exactly as we all predicted, right? <laughs> So let's take the rest of the show and look at not just next week, but the final month of the season. Maybe circle some big gig, big games, uh, pick out our rooting priorities, shall we? So the major players at this point are San Jose, who have 81 points and 14 games left. Anaheim, who have 80 points with 14 games left. Colorado, who are the same, 80 with 14 left. The Los Angeles Kings, who have 79 points with 14 games left. Calgary, who have 78 with 13 left and could have as many as 80 with 12 left by the time the show drops. St. Louis, who have 77 with 14 left. Dallas are catchable with some help. They have 82 points with 14 games left. And Minnesota with 85 are probably out of reach. So, and someone was saying today that Dallas has four home games out of the last yeah. 16. Yeah, I think they have really? 14 left and they only have... Four home games left. Yeah. yeah, Dallas are twenty four ten and three at home, which adds up to thirty seven home games. So yeah, they should have four home games left. That's not a lot. No, it's and not. they're 
<laughs> they're on a road trip to the East Coast this week. Yeah, so they, there's they're some playing at Pittsburgh tonight. <clears throat> yeah, so there's I think there's Buffalo and Ottawa mm-hmm. in there, but they have Pittsburgh and Washington and and plus it's a six game road trip which at this time of year I think will be a little trying. So for that reason I don't quite have Dallas out of the picture, I think. I think they could quickly become in the picture now. As far as which of those Pacific teams is going to be the one to watch, I mean, right now it seems L.A. It, it seems because the Avs also have two games against L.A., so they could make the biggest impact there. They've played well against San Jose and Anaheim, and those games are in the last week of the season. But they're also on the road, so... Yeah, that's going to be a tough road trip. Yeah, a little tougher, but but I think if you're looking at LA and LA plays in Colorado, I think not next week but the week after. So, I'm almost seeing that game as possibly kind of a big game. If we're going to go ahead and look for big games now, then let me just kind of run through what some of the games are. I my major opinion is that I think we should probably be San Jose fans just cuz they're on top right now with some of the most games remaining and everyone else needs I don't to lose yeah lose. I don't know that those three teams play each other that much I've, I've kind of looked at their schedules and that's kind of the unfortunate thing is those three teams don't play each other a whole lot well, that's that's fine that means they won't have three-point games against each other every goddamn day we've seen that well, story here's... before yeah I, I think I'm going to take a little different take on this. Um, I, I, if you look at the standings right now, the Avs are tied with whoever is in third place in the Pacific Division. Anaheim. Uh, Anaheim right now. If they could, you know, they both have 80 points. If they could, if they could keep one point ahead of the third place team in the Pacific, they don't have to worry about the Pacific because. That means the Pacific will just cannibalize each other trying to get that third spot and they won't be involved um, in the wild card. That would mean it would it basically comes down to the Avs, Dallas, and, and <laughs> St. Louis. Yeah, right. Um, and and that I think that gives the Avs the best chance to end up in that wild card spot is, is just staying a step ahead of the third place team in the Pacific, whoever that is on, on a given day. I guess, I guess in a way I look at it too, they have to be at minimum fifth in the central. Yeah. That's that's the first thing that needs to happen. I haven't completely written St. Louis off. I think them having those that horrific two, three week period dipped them down a little bit further than what's reality. And then they had a big win yesterday. You know, the Avs really need to win that game in St. Louis, which is a big ask. But if yeah. they don't, then St. Louis is right back in the mix. So yeah, for that's... me, you know, what Dallas and St. Louis do is a lot more important than what the Pacific does. Agree. I, I think actually, I, I think this game on coming up on Thursday might be one of the, you know, I, I know Haynes keeps saying it's the biggest game of the season so far. Um, but that, that looks like a, a, a good way for the abs to put away the blues and if they can hold on to the fifth spot in the central i think i I think they can pull it off so tuesday colorado traveled to minnesota 
and then Thursday they travel to St. Louis, and then they are at home on a back-to-back Friday against Nashville. <coughs> that's uh, kind that's... of a kryptonite week. Yeah. yeah, that's tough. Yeah, yeah. I think. If I, there's... I mean, I think you write off the Preds game. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I just, you know, I, I think if you can get out of Minnesota with a point like we did last time and you go, you just put it, you, you just sort of put all your effort into winning that game in St. Louis on Thursday, because I think if they do that, that, that just really puts St. Louis in a spot where they're, it's incredibly difficult to dig out of. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'd almost would trade, you know, you don't want to say two losses, but it, if they lost the, the other two but beat St. Louis, that would probably even be better than than winning the other two and losing to St. Louis, in yeah. a way. I, I mean, just for rooting style, I would rather take a, a win versus St. Louis than anything else this week. That yeah. is by far the most important thing. And um, yeah, I know it's tough as a coaching staff to just sort of point to one game and say this is a must-win kind of thing, but you know, it's like you really have to gear up for for that being sort of the game of the season. You can lose your must-win games if you win the other ones instead. Right. 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 But yeah. that one would St. be nice, St. Louis though. loses, too. Yeah. Yeah. Then the, also, then this they... week, they play Detroit on Sunday. Yeah. So there is still that's, one more game this week. That's kind of another must-win in a different way. That's kind of like the Arizona game. Yeah, that, it's a TCB that, game. That's the take, yeah, take care of business game. It's another matinee. Jeez. Stop with this. <laughs> I, I know you love those on the East Coast. <laughs> well, now that um, it's going to be daylight, now that it's daylight savings time for the rest of the season, I can deal with it because the games end and there's plenty of daylight afterwards. So then um, after that, Colorado will travel back to Chicago again. Um, and then it's a two-game homestand-ish against Los Angeles, big game, and Vegas. Yeah, yeah and the Vegas is, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Vegas is at the beginning of that home and home with Vegas. So, yeah. I think if they can split the home and home, they'll be okay. That'd be nice. If they can get one point out of it, I'll be surprised, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and home, home and home, you should be able to to split that. So after that, I know, home they've and just home, been so unsuccessful against yeah. that team this year. I don't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> then they round out March at home against that, the Philadelphia Flyers. What, I, I just don't know how you could go into those games. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not saying the players or the coaching staff should, but I, just as fans, like you're looking at that, like that's that's a toughie. I could see them winning both of those games because they got beat by that team 7-0, and they are not ready to have that happen again. Yeah, <clears throat> it's so just, on, I don't know. And Vegas isn't Vegas isn't quite as good on the road, and and you know they 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 kind of have it wrapped up too. I don't, you know, I don't think it's quite as tough as as maybe it could be. But no, I agree. They they didn't even look good against them in preseason. It's yeah, something exactly. about the way that team plays. They just yeah. You know, there's five teams in the NHL with 20 road wins, and Vegas is one of them. So yeah. You no, know, it's not going to be easy. I'm just saying I don't think it's, like, their biggest hurdle. Yeah, because Vegas has a 10-point lead on second place in the Pacific right now, I think. Yeah. So they're, they're you know, I'm not saying they're cruising because, obviously, they've never played together before, so it's 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 
the coaching staff is probably <clears throat> instilling in, into them, like, we got to get ready for the playoffs, and, and you don't do that by cruising. But they could cruise pretty easily. Yeah. Um, closing out March at home against the Philadelphia Flyers and the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, we so, sure do play Chicago a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when there's a team that you haven't played in your division that many times yet, and it's March, you're going to see them a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this is just a weird, repetitive month. I mean, there's Chicago three times, Vegas twice, Nashville twice. The whole sked, the whole year's been that way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's February of playing Vancouver every day, you know? And yeah. then Dallas, yeah. like, four times in December and November. So and then the final week of the season is uh, a road back-to-back in Anaheim and L.A. And then one last road game in San Jose before they come home to close out the year against the St. Louis Blues. And that either is going to be a huge game or is it going to mean much for one of the teams? It, it's yeah. either going to be huge or not mean much for either team, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's either going to be everything or nothing. So, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I'd hate to see like those. I, I'd hate to see them come in tied <clears throat> for the fifth spot or the the wild card spot or something like that, and have that be a, a, you know determining who goes to the playoffs. Um, but I, I mean, it, you know, that would be really fun. Just be just heartrending to watch. Yeah, well, we've seen teams miss the playoffs on, in the last game of the year in a shootout before. So let's let's try to not <laughs> get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that what you want? You want to kind of have it in your hands where you say, yeah. you know, control your own destiny, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, that, that road trip in California, that that could be a tough one, too. I really feel I, like I think Colorado are in a new place this year where they play against the California teams a lot better than they have in the past. They have. They yeah. have played San Jose and Anaheim really, really well this year, but... Most of those games were at home. Actually, I think that they all were. What I what I would love to see actually is Colorado and the Blues in that final game are tied for a third in the division, and they're just playing for playoff <laughs> positioning. That would be something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They haven't played any Californian teams on the road yet. I think LA was. No, I, I don't think they, so. They haven't been to San Jose? No. I get there's, mixed up just because the Rampage go there all the time. Yeah. There's not a white box on the schedule in California. I think they played in LA, though. Not not until April. No, I think they played there before they played in oh, Arizona. There it, is. there it is. Yeah, I finally found it. It's right before Christmas. Okay. Yeah. I think then they played decent. I think they lost in a shootout that game, or did they lose in overtime? But anyway, overtime. that was close. Yeah, so that game was close. They played they played them okay in that game, so Yeah. Overtime loss. Two one. And what would I have had to say about that game? Um, probably not much. Dustin Brown scored the game winner in overtime, so probably not much. Oh, that one. I hated that game. Yeah. <laughs> it was close though. Yeah, two to one. Yeah. I mean, that that wasn't a bad game, I don't think. Not until that. Okay. So that's the rest of the season. And Colorado play a lot of the teams they're in the race against. 
except for Calgary. Usually more than once. Yeah, so it is kind of a... It's in their hands. Just, uh, like we said last week, it's definitely time to figure out how to win on the road because you need to do that right now. That's a little late, but yeah, you really yeah. should. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but, but you know, we're in mid-March now, so this is kind of... This is kind of the reality of the situation. They're 24-8-2 at home and 12-16-6 and six on the road. That's a big difference. Yeah, and I know we've tried to break this down before with no success, but I just I wish I could put my finger on something. I mean, obviously the special teams are nowhere near as good on the road, and there's no good reason for that. Um, but, you know, it's you look at McKinnon's home road splits, and you're just like, you know, it's not even the same guy. Yeah, and I just I can't I can't imagine that's all just match up. I mean, it's... it can't be because we've looked for the matchups before and not seen that dramatic of a difference. Right. I you know I I I've looked at the matchups on the road and it just you know the the whoever Max Line is going up against is it's not a whole lot different than what he gets at home. Right, it's not like they're getting him out against the fourth line all the time at home or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there, you, you know, you... there is one other team who's in the playoff picture and are dramatically worse on the road than they are at home. That's the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're 25 yeah. 8 and 1 at home and 14 18 and 3 on the road. They have wow. 22 points in 69 games. Nice. And very close to the Avalanche profile. The difference here being they play in the East. They are in yeah. second in the Metro. They're, you know, one point in second, but they're also five points in the wild card spot. I think their power play is something like 35% at home, too. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's something, I, I, that's exaggeration, but I, I think it might be nearing 30 at home. I, yeah, I don't know then. I really don't. Because a team like them shouldn't have that big of a difference between home and road. And obviously we don't have time to go figure out why it's so crazy for them and then try to apply it to Colorado. Um, but yeah. as you say, there is literally one other team in the picture who has this issue. <laughs> I think Dallas is a lot better at home than on the road I was looking at, but not by that big of a difference. I yeah. think that that's a little bit misleading because like you said, they only have four home games left. They're 14-14-3 on their own. So yeah, they've only won 14 games, but they've also played a lot more home than road games. So that may look a little different in a couple weeks. Yeah. Or it may not. But Maybe the Avalanche will get some help here. Yeah, let, let's hope they forget how to win on the road. What's, what's the net? What do you mean you put the puck in it? <laughs> but yeah, that, that game in St. Louis this week is... That one might be a real big one. It's it's yeah. really big, and St. Louis in their last ten are two six and two. <laughs> so yeah, they they did just beat the Kings seven to two. Thank you very much. Um, but they're in Anaheim on Monday, and then they, that means I don't know if they're on a back to back then on Thursday, but they're probably not. No, I don't think so. I think they had the two game, two days off then. 
Oh my god, this is awful. I'm looking at their schedule. Their road their their road games are white and their home games are Nashville yellow. <laughs> I thought you were the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> what the hell is this? So yeah, they have two days off. Oh good, they'll be rusty. They come from Anaheim and then they have Colorado, Rangers, Chicago, Boston, Vancouver, Columbus, San Jose, Vegas, Arizona, Washington, Chicago, Chicago, Colorado. So their their wonder, schedule isn't like easy, but kind of the middle. I wonder if they'll fly right to Denver on Monday and acclimate. Huh? After the okay. after their their game on in against Anaheim on on Monday. It's in St. Louis. Yeah, why would you do oh, that? It's in Sa- it's a, their game is in St. Louis against Colorado. Okay. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was in Anaheim. I'm not listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it was at home, we'd be like, yeah, they're going to win that one. Yeah. They win every game at home. So if if we're going to count on Colorado to win every game at home, and we're going to ignore the Nashville game for obvious reasons, they have one, two, three, four, five... Whoop, that's not the button. So they yeah. really, really need to beat LA at home. They they have 12... If, if they win every home game out, which is a tall ask, but it is this team's home record... Um, that's 12 points. It puts them at 92. So they need to get probably five or six more points on the road here. And they have yeah. eight games to do it. Against tough opponents. And Chicago. <laughs> no problemo. <clears throat> if they get uh, there, you definitely can't say they didn't earn it. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. And and that's that's not a bad note to end on, quite honestly. Um I I really don't feel like I, I think Colorado are pretty accurately rated by the standings. I don't think that there's a whole lot of variance involved here. They're not like apart from Nathan McKinnon's shot, they're they're not shooting the lights out tremendously. Well, Matt Nieto, yeah. but he doesn't shoot very often anyway. Um, <laughs> the the goaltending's been very average. I mean this this appears to be who they are, and that hasn't happened since the historically bad season, In uh, apart from the historically bad season, in several years. So, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, if you look at straight-up goal differential, they're, they're pretty much where they should be. So, let's, uh, I guess let's just kind of be glad that the, we're not try, sitting here going, oh, this is so much fun, but I hope the front office doesn't buy into it, or, oh, this team should be so much better than this, what's going on? Yeah, no. I yeah, think I, I, I think they. Well, it feels better after the deadline. You kind of know what you have and what you're moving forward with. I think they get that to that extent, but there's always kind of the next. You know, what do they do this summer and blah blah blah, and there'll be plenty of time to talk about that. But it does feel like they've accepted more. This is who they are. This is kind of who we're trying to do it with. Which is is refreshing in its own way. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be a big player in free agency this summer. I, I know a lot of people seem to think that just because they have lots of cap space that they're, you know, that they have to go out and buy something big. But I, you know, I, I think they look at next season, the improvement coming from, you know, or organic growth, if you will, of the players that are on the team currently getting better. 
and you know maybe replenishing a few of the the lower spots with with guys that are already in the org or or maybe soon well they do still have some holes that they may not have the pieces for in the organization especially scoring wings so we'll see I, I know that yeah. Joe's pretty much said he doesn't want to be a major player in UFA, but I kind of think that's a small mistake. Well, I mean, if if you're looking at their goal differential, I mean, they score a lot of goals, and I know that they score them mostly at home, and that's a bad thing if you want to win games on the, on the road. <clears throat> but you look at the goals against, and that's sort of where they would need improvement. And I'm just... I, I, I don't know if a scoring wing is exactly what they need to fix that. I just... You know, my, it might be, but... I just don't think this is the time now to make an investment on a big piece because you we don't know exactly what that second line is going to look like moving forward, so we don't know exactly what's missing. Like, I could see that something probably is, but we just don't know what that is yet. Do we have a second line center? What are the wings? What are we going to get in the draft this year if they get a European that person could be an option. Like free agency isn't just going to happen next summer. Like there's going to be a summer after that and after that and after that. Plus when they have cost certainty, when they sign someone like Miko and some of these guys, they know how much money they're going to have. It just seems to me like, like going to the, doing something you should be doing later on down the road rather than just trying to like plug in a piece and say, yeah, we made a big difference when you don't have all the answers, it's just, to me, it's backwards. Yeah. I mean, I look at big free agent pieces as the kind of pieces you want to get from being that team that, that can make it to the second round usually, and, and sort of take that to conference final or, or Stanley cup final type team. Um, I, I, I think they still have a lot of questions. Like, you know, we want to know what Kevin is. We want to know what Bowers is. You know, we, we want to know what we get from this year's draft and maybe even next year's. Not that you need to wait till next year's draft to really make a lot of these decisions, but Kevin being Kevin, if you're not up on the memes, we like Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, you know, it's just, it, I, I still, I think there are a lot of questions they have internally that, that should be answered. Like I, I just hate to see them go out and get something and then find out they really already had it. Or that you're you're using the best couple years of the guy that you're going out and getting when when you're not when it doesn't make that big of a difference and because these these guys are not going to be on like a two three year deal like we're you're going to talk about a huge investment like why not use the, that guy's best couple years when it's really going to make a difference. So to me, I just think it's too soon for that. I know you look at the cap space and you say, why not? Why not try to improve next year? I just, I don't really see the purpose of it to yeah. benefit primarily the short term rather than the long term. And again, this was the thinking behind going out and getting Jerome Aginla. And, you no, know, that's just... definitely different thinking. No, uh, but I mean, not not ending up with Iggy. I'm just saying that we need something like this, and this is what we got. Um, no, that that thinking was, oh, the team was so close. We just need a couple of you know guys that have been there and know how to do it. And they went and well, got yeah. old slows. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm sure they won't go into that kind of secondary scoring. I know people are talking about like JVR and you know someone that's little. 
a little bit younger and better, but those guys aren't going to be cheap. They're going to want term. Like, that's the whole reason why you go to UFA is to get term. Yeah. It's just this, that, that was a situation of liking the smell of your own farts and thinking that you're ready to win the cup versus this, which is the team is much improved, but has much more improvement to go. The, yeah. Those are final piece kind of additions. I'm, I'm talking about you need this is not a final piece. It's not a final piece, but it's a like a push piece, I guess you could say. Yeah, I just I'm not a fan of using free agency to to get you from bubble team to first round exit in seven games type territory. Well, if if they had drafted a little better, that we wouldn't be in that conversation anyway. <laughs> That's for sure. So coming up this week, like we mentioned, Colorado are in Minnesota on Tuesday, and I regret to inform you that is a national game. NBC Sportsnet is at it again. The only one this year. Then Thursday is in St. Louis, 6 o'clock Mountain. That is on Altitude 2, the Ocho. I should probably mention Tuesday is a 30 game, by the way. It's 6.30 Mountain. Um, Friday is at home against the Nashville Predators. That is at 7 o'clock Mountain. It is on Altitude Original. And then Sunday, we have the matinee against the Detroit Red Wings. 1 o'clock Mountain on Altitude. Not going to lie, I'm kind of excited to not see the altitude cameras and broadcast for a game. <coughs> I'll see. I watch a lot of road feeds, so I don't have that problem. <laughs> I'm not stuck in blackout land. If we get Chris Cuthbert, I guess it'll be okay. You know I just want to see if it looks better than altitude on my TV, because I still can't haven't figured that out. Yeah, altitude's been broadcasting a lot of standard def. It's really weird. I don't know. I, I, my feed's been my NHL.com feed has been crashing a ton lately. Every game. That you must have taken. Chromecast. You must have taken uh, that from from my feeds because mine used to crash every like during an intermission every game, and I wouldn't notice because it was during intermission. Yeah. So and then I, you'd be like, "Why is my... it taking so long?" Yeah, I'd be like, "Man, this delay's gotten crazy," and then I click live. Oh, it's just five <laughs> minutes behind. <laughs> So, um, to what did this team need to do this week to stay in it, and what are we predicting? I think they need four points. They need. I think they need more than that. I think I they mean, need minimum. Five. They need. Five. I, I, I mean, if they, I, I think if they, if they beat St. Louis, then four might, might yeah. keep them in it. Um, they beat. And they got to beat Detroit at home. I mean, yeah, that's that's just a. I, I think they, I, I think they need to beat Detroit and St. Louis, and if they can get a point out of either Nashville or, or Minnesota, great. And it'd be nice actually if they got two out of one of those games. And if they drop the game to St. Louis, you probably want them to get three points out of Minnesota and Nashville. <laughs> yeah, I think they actually might beat Nashville. I know it looks like a total schedule loss, but aren't Nashville on a back-to-back that game too? I think they are. So I mean, it's, it's only yeah. a schedule loss because Nashville are way better than Colorado. But they played them so well last time, and um, it's at home. I know they were resting some guys that they, you know, that that the Nashville could have had a, a better lineup than they did. But um, they might do that again. Yeah. 
And I, you know, again, I think that's the kind of game that the Avs really need to get up for and, and sort of just to, just to sort of prove the cause going forward. That's something that they'd really want to point to. I mean, if, if you, if you beat St. Louis and Nashville back to back, I mean, you're flying high the rest of the season. And then they lose to Detroit at home. (laughs) (laughs) Beat the three central teams and then just get blown out seven to nothing by Detroit. (laughs) You know, I'm going to go four points, but I'm going to go. I I think I think they're going to be a stylish four points. They're either going to beat St. Louis or Nashville. Okay. I, I think they're due for a loss in Minnesota, especially after the. Bitch slapping. <laughs> yeah, it's going it's to be, be real tough to go into that barn after putting the Brazil on them the other week. Yeah, and um, I think they'll beat either St. Louis or Nashville, and then I think they can handle the concept and beat Detroit. <clears throat> I think they'll get six points. I think I, I think they'll beat the Blues and Detroit in one of the mini or, or Nashville games. I think they need five points this week, and I think that's what they'll get. They might lose in overtime three times in a row and then beat Detroit. I'm not sure how they're going to get it. But you know, that, that would be very, very absent. We, we, lo- we laughed about that a couple weeks ago, but it almost happened. That would be very much in line with the rest of the Mark Alt era. Yeah. <laughs> so if they get they... points in every game, we're okay. Yeah. So whether they get eight zero five four six and a half points, you know you can find out here. Um, you can always catch the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on iTunes or on your favorite RSS-based podcatch, podcast feed catcher. Blah. Why do they call these things such stupid names? Um, you can always catch the podcast posted on burgundyrainbow.com and join the conversation on our Discord or on burgundyrainbow.com. Kind of chat about whatever there. And we will probably be a normal time release for next week. I imagine we're probably going to launch the show like right after the Detroit game. Um, so in the meantime, keep, keep your head up in the dirty areas, and we will see you next week. And then, right. what was it, four goals in a minute something or other, which was like some sort of record, or the fastest four goals ever scored to start a game. It, that was an Elias Sports Bureau level stat. It was the fastest four goals to start a game since some arbitrary date. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was 1997. It, it was the fastest time it's happened since the last time it happened that fast. Exactly. <laughs> um... Oh.